This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that we be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not, not therefore thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we, are, we hunger and thirst. We are pure, poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are t still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For be, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere, in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with the rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your voice as we read your word. And so we desperately need the Spirit of God, the supernatural Spirit of God, who is here with us to take away blindness from our eyes and hardness from our hearts. Speak to us as we read your word, and we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Think about this, who would be the last person you would like to be stuck with in a corner at a Christmas party? Well, I can tell you, Mr. Big Head, because he will tell you about all the deals that he's made this year. He will tell you about the cars he's bought. He'll tell you about his house, his holiday house. He'll tell you about his money. He'll tell you about how he beat the JSC this year. 
um, you know the kind of person he would he would probably tell you that uh, that he coached uh, when he was a teenager Sia Colisi and uh, that Fuff's underwear was actually his idea. Imagine uh, listening then to Mr. Bighead, and now he's had a couple of drinks, so it gets worse. And he starts talking about his boss, who's actually his mentor. It happens at uh, office Christmas parties, and he's starting to say, yes, he's a good man, but, you know, he's a bit, he's a bit slow, and uh, do you know that all his ideas this year I actually uh, gave to him? He's a, he's a bit dull. I think he's, I think he's past his sell-by date. Isn't it interesting? When we denigrate other people, we're actually elevating ourselves, aren't we? That's normally how it works. It would be quite embarrassing, wouldn't it, if his boss was actually standing just behind him? Quite offensive if he heard what he said. Well, that's really what chapter 4 is all about, because the, the Corinthian church have started belittling their mentor, their father, Paul, in the faith. They've become a bit big for their boots. You know what they were saying. You know, Paul, Paul was very good, and uh, he was helpful, but he's a bit of a plodder. You know, he's a bit dull. It gets a bit boring. You know, and we, we, we need to move on. Times have changed. So Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 14, which is probably the key. Uh, He says, chapter 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. So what can we expect from this chapter? I think we can expect Paul talking about spiritual pride, spiritual arrogance, He'll talk about the fact that the children of spiritual pride and arrogance is a lack of humility and a lack of thankfulness. You see, one of the marks, one of the marks of a true Christian, and that's what we've been this morning, what we've been doing this morning as, as Jerry prayed and as we sang is one of the marks is thankfulness. Because whatever our circumstances, a true Christian can always be thankful for Christ, for the gospel, for the cross for salvation, for eternity. It's one of the marks of a Christian that we thank for. So as we look at this passage and as Paul addresses this problem of arrogance and spiritual pride and presumption and self-sufficiency amongst the Corinthians, it will be good for us to examine our hearts because let's be honest, those things are not far away from our minds, are they? We could be the people that... Paul is writing to the church at Christ Church, Madrid. In fact, spiritual pride can, can, can almost be the worst kind of pride. I mean, it's insufferable, isn't it? Haven't you met people like that? Well, that's what he's dealing with here this morning. So let's dig into our chapter. Three points that we can pick up. Number one is that Paul gives us a principle. And the principle is that everything you have has been given by God. Everything you have, everything has been given by God. Verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, you'll remember from chapter 3, this kind of toxic hero worship, this false rivalry. Uh, Chapter 3, hashtag I love Paul, hashtag I love Apollos. And there was this rivalry, these groups, this party spirit within the church. And Paul kind of bursts their bubble. He kind of bursts this hero worship, this, this, this party spirit, and says, actually, uh, Apollos and I are nothing compared to God. I plant and Apollos waters, but actually God gives the growths. Without God, we're nothing. In fact, notice there in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, this is what we are. You all going on about Apollos and Paul, this party spirit, this group mentality. He says, this is how we should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards there is a waiter. That's all we are, says Paul. We didn't cook the food. We didn't buy the food. We didn't cook it. We didn't make it. No, we're just waiters. We're just distributing it. The mysteries of God there, just by the way, is not some mystical New Age secret. No, it's the mystery of God as prophesied in the Old Testament that God will establish his kingdom by sending his son, the king, to die on the cross. That's the mystery. It's, it's there in the Old Testament in shadow form. It's prophesied and then in full color it bursts on the New Testament. The mystery of God that he will rescue his people by a suffering king, by a dying king, the Son of God. So he says there, verse 6, he says, don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond Christ crucified. Don't add to it. Don't get proud. Don't get arrogant. Don't get puffed up in favor of this preacher or that preacher, this TV evangelist, that TV evangelist. No, verse 7, everything you have, you received. It's a gift. It's grace. In fact, this idea of gift and receipt gift and receipt is dominant. It's central to these first four chapters. Chapter 1, verse 4, just turn back or roll down on on your phone. Chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Verse 31, chapter 1, verse 31. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourselves. Don't boast in your leaders. Don't boast in this great church that you have and everyone knows about it. No, boast in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 6. Remember from last week. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Wouldn't it be embarrassing if um, it was discovered that Mr. Bighead never made any of his money at all? He got it from his father's will. And actually, he didn't do anything at all. He had an agent who bought his properties and his cars, and he paid someone to invest his money. Actually, he didn't do anything at all. I think that would be most embarrassing. So Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, All this boasting, all this self-importance, all this toxic pride, it's all false. It's empty. 
How can you boast about anything in yourself, about yourself or your achievements, when everything you have is a gift? Mr. Big Head, salvation is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Spiritual gift and talent is a gift. Your health, your brains, your opportunities, your education is a gift. Your degrees are a gift. Your car, your riches, it's a gift. Your children is a gift. Your children and their accomplishments is a gift. It's all a gift. So what are you boasting about, says Paul? You see, even we as Christians can become arrogant and self-sufficient. I worked for this. I earned this. I built this. I'm really the brains behind all of this. It was my idea. Remember, I told you the story some time ago uh, um, that uh, I, was, I was taking a guest to visit around the property here. And uh, they wanted to see the property. I showed them the fields and the pool complex and the buildings and the auditorium and everything. And then this person said, being a godly, holy, spiritual person, they said, isn't it wonderful what God has done? And I said, yes. But I thought in the back of my head, you should have seen this place when God had it all to himself. (laughs) I mean, what is that? That's arrogance. That is pride. Guys, I know what Paul is talking about, because it's in my heart, it's in your heart. It's what I've done. So, obviously, if everything has been given, your health, your brains, your opportunities, your education, your riches, your money, your talents, if everything has been given to us, how can you boast? I mean, it's a contradiction in terms. It works exactly like a pulley. So a pulley is where you pull the one side down and the other side goes up, and then you pull the other side down and the, this side goes up. You know how a pulley works. Well, as we elevate ourselves, you know what happens? Actually, we belittle God. That's what happens when we elevate ourselves. We actually belittle God. Ever thought of that? You know, I built this. God has been a great inspiration. I mean, that's spiritual pride, isn't it? Of the worst kind. I think John the Baptist got it right. You know, he was talking about Jesus, and he said, he must increase and I must decrease. I think the Corinthians were saying, we must increase and God is our mascot. I mean, God gave us the inspiration. Let's give him something. Is that not the worst kind of spiritual pride? God is our lucky charm. Here's a test, test for all of us. It's quite extraordinary what you and I could do for God. It's extraordinary what we could do for God if we didn't mind who got the credit. That is a tough one. Ask me. Three quick comments, and then we'll go to our next principle, but as you always know, the first principle is by far the longest. Three comments. Number one, your allegiance, your loyalty as a believer, a believer in Christ Church Midrand, should never be the minister, the preacher, the pastor. At the end of the day, the minister, preacher, pastor is nothing compared to God. Nothing. They are servants. They are stewards. They are waiters. That's my job. 
to be a waiter. Not to cook the food, not to buy the ingredients. No, to serve it to God's people. Those who are priests, preachers and pastors are, are only servants, they're only stewards. They have feet of clay. And mine goes up to my knees. Sometimes you hear of people who abandon the faith because their pastor, their preacher, their spiritual hero has committed some, has had some moral failure. And they leave the faith. Well, I mean, I mean, their loyalty is in the wrong place. Their loyalty is in the wrong place. Of course people fall and fail. Of course it's sad or tragic. But your loyalty is in Christ. Not in the pastor, not in the preacher. He's just a servant. He's just a steward. He's just a waiter. Second point, those who preach and teach do have authority, but it's a delegated authority. We are servants of Christ. We are trustees of Christ. We are stewards of Christ. So it's not the authority of a status or person or title or power. No, it's a delegated authority. It's derived from a greater authority. So what that means is that a self-important, pompous, arrogant Christian leader is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. Comment number three. Notice again chapter four, verse one. Pastor, teachers, are servants, stewards. Remember verse six, not to go beyond what is written. So not only are pastors or teachers or people like myself servants of Christ, servants of the church, we are servants of the word. So as, as I said, it's not for me to make up the word. It's not for me to determine what to teach you. I don't have to be creative every week and think, what, what new motivational talk can I give you? I don't need to do that. All I need to do is, we did chapter 3 last week, let's go to chapter 4. That's my job. I'm just a voice. I'm just lungs. I'm just the waiter. It's not for me to make up the message, not to add to it, not to subtract from it. No, I need to serve God's word. Sometimes it's easier than other times. Other times it's more difficult, but there it is. It's my job. I'm a servant of the word. So Paul talks in Acts chapter 20. He said, I did not shrink from preaching, teaching you the whole counsel of God. The full counsel of God. That's why we go through, like Paul, like any good Bible church, and there are many, I teach, and those who teach here, Royd and others, we teach chapters of the Bible. We work through a book of the Bible. We teach the whole counsel of God. So we don't have to make it up. No, we servants. We stewards. All right, second, second point. Let's have a look at the actual problem that the Corinthians had. Stay with me, chapter 8. Let's have a, not chapter, chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Certainly it does sound like boasting, doesn't it? We've, we've got all we need, Paul. We're rich, we're kings, we've arrived. Paul is probably quoting some Greek stoic. There was a saying at the time within the Greek culture, I alone am rich, I alone am king. So it's the idea of self-sufficiency. So the phrase, without us, is the clue. Without us, you have become kings. You don't need the apostles, you don't need their message. 
You don't need their teaching. You don't need their Lord. You don't need God's messengers. No, you've already got everything. They self-made Christians. I mean, that's an, that's an oxymoron. A self-made Christian, self-sufficient, self-important people. Here's a, here is a man from Corinth who is a Christian legend in his own mind. Have you met those people? They can be insufferable. We don't need Greek Stoics, of course. We have Invictus, written by the Englishman, William Henley. Remember the last verse. And uh, you note the ironic biblical language. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You see, in Corinth, there were people, and there could be people here this morning who feel more superior than others in the church. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made Christian. Do you know that I'm a U.S. dollar millionaire? I went to St. John's. I went to Gray's. I went to UCT. I went to Harvard. Nothing wrong with any of those except Gray's. Well, it says, Paul, there's no basis here for boasting. It's all a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. God gave the growth. It was given to you. Remember what Job, Job said. He said, naked we come and naked we go. It's not a pretty sight. Which means don't get too entangled in the luggage. We come naked, we leave naked. Don't get too entangled in your own self-importance. Because that's a mirage. You're a legend in your own mind. But what's that? No group of people is simple. So I think some of the Corinthians were fighting for their hero. Paul for president. Apollos for president. Others were saying, others in Corinth were saying, do we really need Paul? Do we really need their authority? Do we really need their teaching? So chapter 4, verse 3, some were standing in judgment of Paul. Chapter 4, verse 8, some were claiming to be kings without Paul. Chapter 4, verse 6, some were obviously going beyond what was written in the scriptures and taught by Paul. We're rich, we're royalty, we're the king's kids. Don't tell us what to do. The problem is actually the problem of authority. That is the real issue. That is their real problem. Who is their final authority? And that's a question for all of us. Who is your final authority? When push comes to shove, what and who has the final authority? Is it God and his word? Or is it you? Have a look quickly, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It really is a very helpful verse. Ephesians 2, verse 20. We won't look at the whole chapter. It's talking about the church of God, the people of God, and Paul uses different metaphors to talk about the church, the body of Christ, the building of Christ. Um, and in verse 20, he's, he uses the analogy of a building when he talks about the church of Jesus Christ. He talks there, verse 20, that the church, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. The prophets gave us the Old Testament. The apostles gave us the New Testament. But the cornerstone added at the bottom, the foundation, is Christ. 
So our authority is God and his word. So you never separate those two. It's God and his word. It's Christ and his word. And God has given us the prophets, the apostles, to, to give us his written word. You know how people say, you know, I love reading Peter. And I love reading John. Those letters and that gospel. I love reading James. But, you know, I'm not really into Paul. I prefer not to read his letters. Or someone says, you know, I love the New Testament, and they normally haven't read the New Testament, but I love the New Testament, but I don't like the Old Testament. Or perhaps people say, you know, I love Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount, and when they say that, they certainly haven't read it. I love Jesus in the Sermon, Sermon on the Mount, but I don't like it when he talks about judgment and hell. Question here is, who is your final authority? It's no longer God and his word. You are the authority. You determine what is the word of God and what isn't the word of God, what you like, what you don't like, what you include, what you exclude. You have become the final authority. In fact, that was exactly the issue with Adam and Eve. We don't need your rules. We don't need your word. We don't need your parameters. No, we'll make our own rules. We'll make our own happiness. We'll make our own worldview. In fact, we'll be our own gods. That was at the heart of sin with Adam and Eve, and it's at the heart of sin with us. Who is our final authority? Is it God and his word, or is it me? So the question for us ultimately is, will you submit to Christ as, as king, or will you be your own king? So that's really the question. The Corinthians, will you submit to Christ and his apostles, their teaching, or will you be your own king? Lastly, let's have a look at the, the pattern that, that Paul gives us to imitate, verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. Where am I? Chapter 4, verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, Paul uses that phrase a couple of times. In, chapter, in fact, in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul spells it out. He fleshes it out. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the Christian life and Christian ministry is not one of self-importance, self-sufficiency. It's not one of arrogance. It's not a false sense of victory, success, motivation, one-upmanship. No, the Christian life, the Christian ministry is a cross-shaped life. And it's a cross-shaped ministry. Let me read to you, just read from verse 9 to 13, where Paul talks about his own ministry as an apostle. And he tells us, he shows us the shape of Christian ministry. And that's all of us. If you're a Christian, you serve God and his people Here's the shape of Christian ministry. And notice as I read verse 9 to 13, and Vicky got it, uh, read it so well, there's so much sarcasm. There's so much sarcasm. Because these folk really need to be, they need to be jump-started. They need to be shaken out of their lethargy, their arrogance. Verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. 
To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. We, when, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And that's exactly, verse 13, what happened with Paul. Paul was beheaded. Why? Because he was the scum of the earth teaching a scum gospel that no one wanted or liked. You see, the Christian ministry and the Christian life and the two go together, don't they? Isn't one of arrogance or spiritual pride or a false sense of success or victory? No, it's actually we are to be imitators of Paul as he is imitating Christ. Now look at that passage again, 9 to 13. It took me quite a while to pick this up. It's actually a picture not just of Paul, it's a picture of Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Notice verse 9. Was Christ not sentenced to death, a spectacle to the world? Verse 10, we have a picture of the cross, weak, hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, reviled, persecuted, slandered. Verse 13, the world regarded Christ as scum, the refuse of the world. It's true today, my dear friends, in the Western world, the Western world is Christophobic. It hates Christ. It's not just, it's not just um, neutral. Uh, it's not just um, unimportant, no. The, Christ, the Western world hates Christ. Christ is the scum of the Western world, or large parts of it. In fact, they see him as scum, as weak, offensive, intolerant, pathetic. And yet we know, as Paul tells us, Christ crucified is the power of God is the wisdom of God, is the key to life and death, is the key to purpose in life, he's the key to joy, he's the alpha, the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the lamb of God, he's the lion of Judah, he's the bright and morning star, he's the judge, he's the truth, he's the way, he's the bread, he's the light, he's the good shepherd. So where is their place for arrogance or pride if we belong to this wonderful Savior? Where is their place for Mr. Big Head? No, it's all a gift, isn't it? It's all grace. And the Christian life is a cross-shaped life. We see that in Paul. We see that in Christ. All I am is I'm a sinner saved by grace. Nothing more, but nothing less. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. Father, will you forgive us when we are proud, when we are self-sufficient,
Forgive us when we are arrogant. Forgive us when we think it was us and didn't remember that all we are and all we have is a gift from God. Father, will you help us that we may be thankful people, always so thankful for the cross, for Christ, for forgiveness, for the certainty of being with him in eternity. Father, help us to be joyful Christians who find our joy in the Lord. And Lord, we do pray that you may become like John the Baptist, who said that he must increase and I must decrease. Father, we don't find that easy. We find that terribly hard. So will you help us by your Holy Spirit? So Lord, go with us into this week. Help us to live for you wherever you've placed us. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.